Hi, you're with Julian on the Brown Note. And this part of the show is to counter a narrative that I'm seeing and predicted would happen in the news media in Australia. For six years, the Liberal Party has destroyed the Australian economy. And Scott Morrison has been front and centre in that. And he's a liar who never takes responsibility for anything he does. And I've predicted in advance that they would try and blame coronavirus for every economic failing they've had for the last six years. And not only that, they're going to try and use uh, the Labour states uh, closing down their economies in Victoria in particular. So they're going to blame six years of failure on Labour and coronavirus and they will probably get away with it as far as our limited news media goes. So I want to paint a picture of why none of that's true, what the Liberal Party did, and why Scott Morrison as an individual is the number one villain of coronavirus, which will hit Australia economically harder than any comparable nation. Uh, this is a story that goes back to the 1970s. And when America had experienced an enormous boom for decades, which was based around high wages, strong union membership, uh, decent public services. Um, they experienced nearly 40 years of economic boom and, and were the world's dominant economy. But by the 1970s, rich people really wanted to have more money than you or anyone else. So they had to sort of justify this concept and came up with the idea of economic neoliberalism. Neoliberalism has been the most damaging economic policy enacted on Western nations in history, I think. Um, the whole concept revolves around the idea that if you give rich people more money, that will create wealth for people lower down the ladder. And it goes like this. If you give rich people more money, they will build more factories and produce more goods, and that way they will produce more jobs and more people will buy their goods. This is economics 101 fallacy. You get people to build more factories and produce more goods and therefore employ more people when the people at the other end of the scale have more money to spend. You don't create spenders by reducing wages and conditions by giving more people at the top more money who already operate at full capacity anyway and aren't going to build new... What, who are they going to sell these products to? It was an economic fallacy, to, and it's called trickle-down economics. Give the rich more money, they'll create more with it. For 40 years, it's been proven to be a fallacy, and it has reversed the quality of life in Western nations, particularly the Murdoch countries of America, Britain, and Australia. And um, We got ours in Australia a lot later, Famously, Britain had Margaret Thatcher and Thatcherism. America had Reagan and Reaganomics. And that's when the economies in those countries shifted irrecoverably towards benefiting the rich and the notion that we'd all be millionaires one day because we gave millionaires more money. Who knew that wouldn't work? Um, it's been proven to be wrong because our quality of life has gone backwards. We got ours with John Howard in this country country because we had Labour who unfortunately and shamefully went neoliberal towards the end of the 80s when it was a dominant paradigm. Privatise everything, give more money to property developers and so on. Um, but we didn't get it as bad. Um, but we did get it as bad with John Howard. 
And the paradigm I would say is the economy hasn't worked because a working class person in 1980s Australia, their birthright was a three bedroom home that they would own outright and have a family and a partner that stayed at home. Now, none of that's possible. A working class person will never own even a two bedroom flat in Sydney. The paradigm dream now is that a couple of middle class people earning 90k a year can afford a two bedroom flat and that proves the economy hasn't worked for everyone and it hasn't worked for 90% of the people in this country. John Howard was the harbinger of doom. Uh, right wing media would try and paint his tenure as some glorious you know example of uh, economic management it was the opposite it set in place as with thatcher and reagan all of the problems that we've got in australia today uh, i'll read this bit as, as our agile innovative laissez-faire small government prime minister john howard grapples uh, with contradictions i don't know if this is sorry this is the turnbull era uh, grapples through the contradictions of regulating gas exports and propping up the dying coal industry with public money people might ponder a new question of who's been the worst coalition prime minister in recent history. Malcolm Turnbull, Tony Abbott, Billy McMahon? No, no, and no. On housing affordability, Howard introduced the capital gains tax concession bolstered by the first homebuyers grant and boosted immigration, all putting pressure on a housing demand. Investor entry into the housing market took off from the moment the capital gains tax concession began. We wallow helplessly in the backwash of these idiotic decisions. Speaking of tax, Howard introduced the over 60 superannuation tax holiday, other super concessions, family payments to middle income households, age-based tax concessions and lots of income tax breaks for middle class to high end income households. These have been difficult, if not impossible to wind back and have increased inequality in Australia. In short, Howard squandered $380 billion of a mining boon on buying votes and allowing miners to be lightly taxed. And the International Monetary Fund rated John Howard's tenure as Australia's most needless, wasteful spending. Uh, and the, the IMF study bill presents itself as the first to examine 200 years of government financial records across 55 leading economies it identified only two periods of Australian fiscal policy uh, profligacy uh, both in the last 30 years, and that is both during John Howard's term in office in 2003 at the start of the mining boom and between 2005 and seven. And the one thing that he did that was so damaging is he introduced a lot of money to people at the top end of the scale who then had a lot of money to spend on housing which was protected by new tax breaks. So investors took over the property market, sending house prices soaring, which rent and mortgages are our biggest discretionary expenditure. Well, it's not a discretionary expenditure, it's our biggest expenditure out of our income, which meant that rent and mortgages went through the roof and has rendered owning a home or paying rent virtually unaffordable for an increasingly large number of Australians and owning a home out of reach in our lifetimes for generations the current generations anyone that doesn't own a home now the majority of us will never own a home because of these economic policies and because those tax concessions were on people whose own income has grown so much 
that burden on the tax has gone up to tens of billions of dollars a year on things like franking credits and on things like negative gearing because that pool has exploded and we're trapped now with these people that keep returning liberal governments to keep these policies in place and anytime anyone goes after them like bill shorten did with franking credits we get an enormous media campaign to shoot him down uh, we, we're carrying this burden of tens of billions of dollars a year in tax breaks from John Howard. And it works as a double-edged sword because it also has in massively increased the costs of a house or rent, uh, of a mortgage or rent on the rest of us. So we've got this double-edged sword of this huge drain on the economy from one end and virtually no discretionary spending on the other because no one can afford to live anymore. So people aren't spending money in the economy to generate all of these jobs because they haven't got the money, they can't afford to. Um, Labour came in in, I think, 2007, 2008. Now, they outperformed John Howard's government economically, and no one will tell you that. John Howard's government, with $380 billion of a mining boom, only outperformed the global average, the OECD average, by 0.2% of growth per year. When Labour were in power after the global financial crisis, we outperformed the global average by a full 2%, and that was wearing the global financial crisis. Uh, wage growth now, this is, these are, these are, this is what's happened since Labour were in power. These are the liberal years. Uh, wage growth was around 4% on average through Labour years, and started falling when the Liberals came to power and is under 2% at 2016. This isn't to do with coronavirus in 2016. Average annual growth in real wages in the five years till November 2018 was significantly less than the average recorded for the five years up to 2013. During Labour, the average real wage growth was 1.8% per annum. Under the Liberals, before bushfires and before coronavirus, it was 0.5 of a percent. Um, these are some articles that show how badly the economy was doing last year. All these articles are from 2019, and they are before the bushfires hit, and they are before coronavirus. Uh, in March 2019, one million Australians have to work two jobs. New figures reveal new figures. Uh, show Australians are working two jobs to cope with rising living costs and stagnant wages. In March 2018, a new report from the Australian Institute analysed Bureau of Statistics data and found that fewer or 50% of employed Australians are now working full-time. That, in March 2018, was the first time that more than half of the Australian workforce wasn't working full-time. In 2019, Australia's economy has posted its equal lowest annual growth since the year 2000. The economy grew 0.5% in three months to June 30 last year. Um, by that point, we were down to the 77th fastest growing economy in the world. Government debt was the reason, one of the main reasons we got rid of labour. And Joe Hockey said that they would get rid of it in the first year. Well, it was $257 million, uh, billion dollars when Labour got in in 2013. In 2014, it was $319 billion. In 2015, it was $368 billion. 
in 2016, $420 billion. In 2017, half a trillion dollars, double what Labour left the Liberal Party with, and it went up to $684 billion this year is the government debt under the Liberal Party, approaching three times what they took over. Um, the cold hard facts show Australia's economy in April 2009 was the world's best under Labour. Observers worldwide affirmed this in 2016. Uh, 14 authorities hailed Australia's extraordinary success in managing the global financial crisis, including former Treasurer, uh, Treasury Secretary Dr Ken Henry, UNICEF's Bruno Martorano, former UK Prime Minister Gordon Brown, former US Treasury Chiefs Henry Porson and Timothy Geithner, and Nobel Prize winning Professor Joseph Stiglitz, all said that Australia handled the global financial crisis better than any other developed nation. Uh, when Labour took over in 2007, even after a $380 billion mining boom, we were only ranked the ninth best performing economy in the world. We went up after 12 months of Labour to third. In 2009, we were fourth. In 2011, we were first. 2012, we were the first best performing economy in the developed world. In 2013, we were the first ranked economy in the world. And that carried through. And after one year of the Liberal Party taking over, we dropped to third. By 2015, after two years of the Liberal Party, we were ninth. By 2016, we were the 13th best performing economy in the world. By 2017, we were the 18th best performing economy in the world. And by 2019, we were the 28th best performing economy in the world. Now, the Liberal Party lie to us all about how well they do it in the economy, but by every metric, their economy has tanked for six years straight before any of this happened. We all know life has got more expensive. And these same people vote for the Liberals because of the economy. We know that our rents and our mortgages are vastly more expensive than they were. If you can even get a mortgage, more likely you're stuck with rent. And you know that that's gone up and up and up and up until this year, ironically. Um, and we know that life is more expensive, that wages haven't caught up. Um, this is from March 2019. As we near the federal budget in 2019, today's GDP figures show the economy is spluttering along, said Richard Holden from the University of New South Wales Business School. Uh, GDP growth of 0.2% is very poor. The ability of Australia's economy to avoid recession for 27 years is great, but today's ABS figures show we've entered an effective recession in Australia, with GDP per capita shrinking in two quarters successively in 2018. Uh, two quarters of recession in 2018, two quarters of negative growth, that's a recession on a per capita basis in 2018. Uh, from December last year, and when this is when the bush fires kicked off, the rest of the GDP's equation points to a very weak economy. Official ABS data shows Australian businesses are not in great shape. The seasonally adjusted estimate for the total new capital expenditure fell by 0.2%. Uh, this follows a fall of 0.6% in the June quarter. Business investment is really weak. 
EY Chief Economist Joe Master said, it's been disappointing for some time now. Interest rates are very low, but we're not seeing Australian businesses invest in anything. I think that's a great concern for growth, not just for today, but for the transition our economy has to make for the future, all before this year. Uh, nervous consumers with high debts and low wage rises. This tr uh, that transition is particularly uh, partly dependent on the consumer spending more at shops around the country. Despite record low interest rates and tax relief, highly indebted households are anxious about their finances. Debt is killing the economy. Um, add job insecurity to that, and there's a big reluctance for our consumers to part with their money. The National Australia Bank's chief economist Alan Osser said it worries him. You need to get more income into the consumer. At present, what you've got is a consumer that's scared and only spending on things they have to. You've got a slowdown in the construction industry and businesses uh, are basically not investing and I don't think that's going to change. And from August 2019, ahead of GDP figures to be released next week, the news on the economy continues to be weak. This is not good news given the OECD released a report into household disposable income which confirms Australian living standards have flatlined for five years. This is in 2019 the five years of the Liberal Party. Uh, it shows all the good work done during the labour years of the global financial crisis has been completely wasted. The March quarter GDP for 2019 figures were dire the worst annual growth for a decade, the first time since 1983 that GDP per capita has fallen in three successive quarters. One reason for that is the weak performance was the slowdown in construction work, which unfortunately shows no sign of abating. The latest construction figures uh, released by the Bureau of Statistics show that the volume of both private and public construction has now fallen for four straight quarters. Now, uh, and that's a problem because, as I have been noting for some time, real household disposable income has either been flat or falling for seven years now. This is last year. Um, these are the reasons why our economy was doing so badly. Australia in 2019 and 2020 recession likely rates heading to zero. Uh, the percentage of people employed in construction is close to bubble-like levels. This is February 2019. The household debt to GDP is one of the highest in the world nearly uh, top, next to Denmark, I think. And mortgage debt has grown almost twice the pace of GDP in the last 10 years. We have got a, a housing bubble to compound even the weak economy here because we've got unsustainably high house prices reliant on growth. We've got something like $40 billion in uh, interest-only mortgages that go into capital repayments, I think, between 2020 and 2024. Not much growth. If you've got an interest-only mortgage, you've put down no capital, and you are reliant on that growing. In order, to, otherwise, you're paying off something that's you know you're paying a million dollars off on a flat that's worth eight hundred thousand, and people back out. Um, the, we were told that we were protected in this country from something like the global financial crisis or the subprime mortgage happening here because Australian banks had much tighter lending requirements. We just had the Royal Commission into banking showing that those lending practices are nowhere near as tight as people said they were. We got a lot of people that rode the property bandwagon buying off of spec on property, buying an apartment that wasn't going to be finished for two years, 
and they agreed a contract at the market's height. Now, that contract is worth nothing now because the one of the only ways they can get out uh, a consumer can get out of that contract is if they can't arrange finance we've got banks massively tightening their lending practices who aren't going to give you a million dollars when the market valuation of your flat is now eight hundred thousand and the consumer won't want that mortgage either so they are all going to bail on all of these houses that have been sold on contract on spec uh, and there's a lot of unfinished, if you live in Sydney, you see all of the construction going on. Those aren't going to be worth what they were five years ago when they were designed and planned and all the planning permission went through. What do you think they're going to be worth when they're finished this time next year? Um, all of this is disgusting. It's it's being promoted as coronavirus and what the Liberals are doing in Victoria and Queensland. And that's what Scott Morrison will be selling it as. But this is a Liberal Party. This is their ideology on neoliberalism of continually giving tax cuts to wealthy people or businesses and that trickling down we've seen that fail we've seen the whole way of life in australia fail and get worse and get more expensive and the dream of owning your own home dissipate and eventually become completely unrealistic um, and the fact that we if you don't have six investment properties you're probably never going to get your foot on the pro a property lab ladder in the first place and we've got a government that caused all of this in the first place before coronavirus and before the bushfires who will now blame it on those things. And because we've only got a very limited media landscape in Australia, they will get away with most of that. They're already trying to sell this as coronavirus, a coronavirus recession and a Labour recession, despite the fact that we were in a capital recession last year before any of this happened. And Scott Morrison is the villain of the piece. He was Prime Minister, and before that he was Treasurer. And he is a neoliberal ideologue that will always tell you that tax cuts for the wealthy are the best way out of any economic hardship. Yet it has led to our economy declining for six years already. And they will tell you that the best way out of this is to do exactly the same. They will use it to bash wages and conditions in Australia by saying that's too expensive to Australian businesses to compete. Ignoring the fact that without any consumers, Australian businesses can't compete. So if you've only got barely enough money to live, or you're working a second job just to pay rent, you're not buying anything from cafes, shops, restaurants, clothing shops. All those places are empty because you haven't got any money to spend in them because of the Liberals and because of Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison and the Liberal Party will cause more deaths by people committing suicide from economic woes than will die from coronavirus in this country. And that might sound like an extreme position to take, but it's actually true. Economic worries are one of the biggest driving forces in suicide. And we have got a younger generation now that have absolutely no hope economically. They can't afford to live outside of their parents' homes. They're used for dead-end, cheap-ass jobs and they will never ever have any opportunity as far as they see it. And this is putting an incredible pressure on the quality of life in this country and they already did it by this time last year. So don't let Scott Morrison and the Liberal Party barter their way out of their own mess. And even worse, they're the people that have to get us out of it. And all they will recommend is crushing wages and conditions and more tax breaks for the wealthy and corporations and that's exactly what got us into this it wasn't coronavirus it wasn't bushfires 
If we had a better economy going into coronavirus, like say New Zealand, we wouldn't be suffering as much over the next year as we're gonna. But because we had such a bad economy and such a weak indebted economy, so reliant on burgeoning house prices, we will suffer worse than virtually any other OECD nation. In Britain, they're saying they're gonna have the worst recession in 300 years because they had exactly the same economics we had for even longer. And we are both gonna suffer horribly because our economies were so weak after so many years of right-wing economic neoliberalism. And that's the fault of Scott Morrison and the Liberal Party. If they hadn't have destroyed our economy going into coronavirus, leaving us like the sick elderly patient with pre-existing conditions, we wouldn't hurt so much coming out of it. But we're going to hurt because we were already sick. And that's Scott Morrison's fault. And he is the villain of coronavirus. And so are the Liberal Party. Don't let them get away with it.